covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. It is time for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. Thank you so much for being tuned in with us this week. A little bit of an express version of the podcast. We're not going to have a guest on this week. We will return to our normal format coming up uh, next week. I'll be honest with you. I'm a little bit beat down by what happened this past week and the negotiations between uh, players and owners, and we're going to kind of do an update on that coming up uh, in just a moment. First off, our normal housekeeping items here at the top of the podcast. If you want to get in contact with me, best way to do so on Twitter, at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. And uh, if you listen to the podcast on Apple Podcast and can leave a ranking and review, that would be awesome. Subscribing to the podcast is uh, very good as well. The, as those numbers go up and up, more people find the podcast, and uh, we always uh, we always appreciate that. Oh, that being said, though, I wanted to mention this. I was looking at our listenership and, and the numbers and where they're at, and clearly a podcast like this is going to be more popular during the baseball season as opposed to out of the baseball season, especially when you're in the middle of a lockout. But when you compare the podcast numbers to previous off-seasons, we're doing pretty good. And that says a lot about Brewers fans. It says a lot about baseball fans. There hasn't been a lot of positivity that has been part of this podcast or any baseball podcast in a while, just as the collective bargaining agreement has gone on. Now, we, we've certainly looked forward, and it's gonna at some point the deal is going to get done. I do not think that they are going to miss this entire season of baseball. I just I don't think that's going to happen. I don't know how many games they're going to play. Uh, I am less confident at this very moment than I was, say, earlier in the week that they're even going to be able to start things uh, on the scheduled opening day. Had you asked me last week, had you asked me, yeah, before Rob Manfred spoke, Rob Manfred spoke this past week, and I thought it was a really, really bad, um, uh, It, I didn't think it set up the the proposal that was going to be given out on Saturday, I didn't think it set that up well. That's what I'll say on that. So once he spoke, and he spoke about Major League Baseball owners, that the risk that goes along with owning a baseball franchise, that baseball owners would be better off taking their money and putting it into the stock market because there would be more of a return. And in, in some ways, he's actually he's not totally wrong. On that, I, I read some stuff this past week that, you know, depending on where you were putting your money and what, where the investments were going to go, yeah, there's something to be said that you could actually get more return on your money uh, in the stock market than owning a team. But that being said, team values continue to go up and up and up and up, and revenue and media dollars and everything that goes along with it, they are moving in an upward direction. So teams have a lot more value now than they did previously. And that's something that players talk about a lot because as players are trying to get a bigger cut of the money that is coming in, one of the things that they often mention is how franchise values have continued to move in a very upward direction. So clearly, Rob Manford, in saying what he said earlier in the week, was trying to kind of tamp down on the idea of franchise values being connected to how much money franchises should be willing to give to players and how much money Major League Baseball should be willing to give to players. So that was kind of the starting point. And then just a complete sidebar during the week, something that has absolutely nothing to do with the collective bargaining agreement, 
but is a great illustration of the players versus owners mentality that exists right now in baseball was the fact that a Major League Baseball attorney was in court this past week connected to a previous lawsuit from a minor league baseball player and basically argued that minor league baseball players should not be paid during spring training because teams are providing them a service by giving them the instruction and the training that goes along with that period. Again, another thing that is not going to sit well with the players. Now, that has nothing to do with the collective bargaining agreement. The CBA is only uh, applied to players who are on the 40-man roster. But it just it's a great illustration. It shows kind of the climate that we are in right now and the different planets at this point that players and owners are on. I remember saying a few weeks ago on this podcast, uh, just before the owners were going to submit their first proposal to players for the first time in a while. I said that a deal was not going to come from that, and obviously it didn't. But what what that was going to do was that was going to at least show us how far the two sides are apart from each other. And you really can't start to negotiate until you know what you're negotiate what, what, what you're negotiating how far apart you are on the two sides and it just doesn't feel like over the last few weeks there has been much movement i saw a tweet from uh, john prado and he is somebody longtime baseball writer based in pittsburgh covered the pirates uh, for for a very long time still involved in a number of different uh, media outlets And he tweeted out on Sunday, he said, quote, I am less interested in the Major League Baseball labor situation each passing day, which I find somewhat disturbing considering what the sport has meant to me. And I read that and it kind of, it resonated with me a bit. And I think if you listen to me at all throughout my time doing anything baseball related, you know how much I love baseball. You know how passionate I am about the game of baseball. It is... It is truly what I have devoted my entire career to. It is the sport that I love more than any other sport. It is just, it is a such a huge part of my life. And really for the first time throughout this entire labor negotiation, I got frustrated. I got frustrated, especially on Saturday, when to me it became increasingly clear that there is a very, very good chance that we are going to miss out on the start of, uh, of what is supposed to be the start of the Major League Baseball regular season. Opening day is very much in peril. I, I, don't, I don't know when baseball is going to start. Now, can the two sides come together? Can they start to hammer some things out? Can they talk more? Can they spend more time in a room together and just try to really go through things and, and maybe make some major progress over the course of the next three weeks? Yeah, that can happen. And we can all be really hopeful that that can happen. And there's, I'm not closing the door on that happening. Certainly not closing the door on that happening. But it just seems, it seems like they're so far apart. And it feels like there's not a motivation at this point to save opening day. That does not seem to be something that really either side is valuing at this point in time. It almost feels like each side is going to push the other to see how far they will go and how much money they're willing to lose before one side starts to make major concessions. And for owners, the big money that you lose 
is when you start losing regular season games and when all those tickets and everything that you had sold need to be refunded back. That's the big thing. For players, they don't get paid once the regular season is scheduled to start. Now, we've heard about the war chest. The war chest is the money that has been set aside, so players will still receive some money even if they are not playing. But I don't know all the details about the war chest. I don't know how much money is being distributed. I don't know if everybody gets an even amount of money or if it's based off what your contract was going to be. I mean, if you're somebody who's been making $20-plus million a year, year after year after year, are you going to take money out of the war chest when that can go to a younger player who has not yet reached arbitration but can't, can't bring in a paycheck? I don't know. I don't know all the details about the war chest. As far as I've seen, the Major League Baseball Players Association haven't really talked about that. And why would you talk about that at this point? Like That's something that it's not really – you don't need to apply that until games actually start getting missed. I feel bad right now, though, for, for a number of different groups. I feel bad for fans. Baseball fans have been through a lot. They've been through a lot, and – it just it always feels like these negotiations between players and owners don't always put the best interest of fans at the forefront. And I guess they shouldn't, right? Like if if you're the players, you're fighting for yourself. If you're the owners, you're fighting for yourself. But then there's there's a cost to all of that. And I still occasionally hear from somebody who said they never went back to watching baseball after the ninety four strike. I don't hear from those people very often anymore. But up until maybe two or three years ago, I still heard from them fairly often. I know a lot of people were turned off from baseball uh, during the, uh, the result, not so much during the steroid era, but then the fallout of the steroid era. And there's people who were frustrated with baseball during two years ago when the two sides were continuing to argue and they couldn't get together on how many games they would play. And they ended up playing that 60-game season. And it was just a lot of arguing during that time. So this is nothing new. Players and owners have not had a great relationship in a long time. It just doesn't feel... And I'm not in the room. I'm not in the room. It just doesn't feel like at this point in time that there is a spirit of true negotiation that is going on right now. So in the proposal that was given to players on Saturday. Uh, economic and non-economic issues were were were, uh, were presented. According to every report out there, players were underwhelmed. That's the term that was used, underwhelmed. Uh, players, as of this recording, Sunday night, 10.23 p.m. is the exact moment that I'm recording this. As of Sunday night at this time, players had not yet decided how they were going to respond, and another meeting was not immediately scheduled. So there's kind of two schools of thought on this. One one thought is get people in a room for as long as possible and just try to hammer this thing out. A lot of people say that. Now the problem with that is with these two sides, sometimes if they spend too much time with each other, it actually starts going in the wrong direction. So that's not always the best plan. So that's one part of this. Um, It is a little bit frustrating that this Saturday interaction took less than an hour. This has happened a lot during these negotiations where 
they've been in the same room for a very short amount of time or they've been on the same Zoom call for a very short amount of time. It doesn't look good. Like, optics do matter. I've always been somebody that believes that optics do matter. And not that you should do something because of how it looks, but you should at least be aware of how it looks. And Saturday was the biggest moment for these negotiations because essentially what Saturday guaranteed was that spring training is not getting started on time. That's, that's what Saturday guaranteed. Supposedly, the owners gave players kind of a calendar that said, here's when we have to have a deal ratified by to be able to start the season on time. We don't know if the players agreed with that date or not. It does concern me about a possible shortened spring training. I People laugh all the time about how long spring training is. Our guest last week, Dom Catronio, who I loved having on the podcast last week, he talked about spring training needs to be shorter. Uh, I That's one area that I would disagree with. I would have agreed with that probably a couple years ago. But I think we've learned at times, especially when we've seen players uh, who miss a lot of spring training due to injury, when we saw the shortened spring training before the 60-game season, and obviously there was a lot of different variables that went into that, so it, uh, you don't know for sure what, what the impact was of the shortened spring training. But it just it does feel like, in, in principle, the idea of shorter spring training seems nice, but in practice, I do think that it has a negative impact on the quality of play, especially at the start of the season. So we're, we're, one way or another, we're probably going to have some type of shortened spring training this year, which is not fantastic. Uh, Major League Baseball proposed a $5 million increase to the pre-arbitration bonus pool. So they went up to $15 million. The union opened up at $105 million. They recently went down to $100 million. So there's an $85 million difference between the two sides. The, many, like when we talk about arbitration sometimes, uh, you know, a, a player will be offered $6 million and um, he'll go in wanting four and a half, and they find a way to split the difference at, you know, $5.3, $5.4 million, something like that. This isn't one of those... They'll just split the difference and be fine. There's an $85 million difference between the two sides. A lot of people out there made reference of the fact that Major League Baseball began at 105, or excuse me, Major League uh, Baseball players began at 105, went down to 100, and um, that was a $5 million decrease. Then the owners did a $5 million increase, and there's a belief that the owners were basically doing the exact same thing. If that's if that's the route we're going to take, where you're just going to go five million up, five million down, five million up, five million down, then we're going to be uh, doing this for a while. Major League Baseball did raise the luxury tax threshold by two million dollars in the uh, final three years of the five over the deal. So over the next uh, five years. The, the luxury tax threshold would go 214 million, 214 million, then up to 216, then 218, then 222. Previously, it had been 214, 214, 214, 216, 220. So in years three, four, and five, it goes up by $2 million. That is not what Major League Baseball players wanted. This is one of the big ones. This is one of the really big ones here because Major League Baseball players view the luxury tax as an unofficial salary cap. Very few teams go into 
the luxury tax. And something that was mentioned was the the percentage tax actually went up. So while the while the tax number was going to go up a little bit, allowing teams to spend more without going into the tax, if you did go into the tax, you were going to be fined more. So that was kind of, they gave something up on one side, but then they got it back on the other, if if that makes any sense uh, whatsoever. And that wasn't received especially well from the players either. So look, there's, there's a lot of minutia that can get into this. And you can, whether it's ESPN, whether it's The Athletic, like a lot of a lot of really smart people have been covering this at a very high level, and I appreciate everything that they've been able to write. There's just there's a lot going on, and it's not it's not great right now. So for the first time, for the first time during this entire thing, I'm a little bit beat down. I'm I'm a little bit frustrated. I am significantly worried that the start of the regular season is not going to begin on time, and I'm worried about how long this lockout could end up going during the course of the season. I am hopeful. I am very hopeful that something changes over the course of maybe this week, the next meeting, whatever it might be, and things turn around. We can hope for that. I just don't know for sure if we are going to uh, get that right now. I would think that in all likelihood that's probably uh, not going to end up happening. Uh, We did find out, by the way, this past week that National League rules are no longer going to exist. The DH is officially coming to the National League. I understand why that is going to happen. It bums me out. It bums me out. And it doesn't bum me out because I enjoy seeing pitchers hit. It bums me out because of the strategy that goes along with a game uh, with the pitcher coming up to bat. Now, there is a rule that is out there. It's going to be tested in the Atlantic League again where the designated hitter is connected to the starting pitcher. So as long as the starting pitcher is in the game, you have the DH. Once the starting pitcher is removed, then all of a sudden the DH is removed and the pitcher is back in the lineup. So you've those strategy-type decisions that I was talking about earlier, you get those back because those, those generally happen after a pitcher is out of a game. I think I'd like that rule in, in a perfect world, to be perfectly honest with you, and I'm in the minority on this one, in a perfect world, we would not have the DH in the National League. This would not be changing. I'm... I'm not naive. I understand why it is changing. I have accepted long, long ago that we were no longer going to have National League rules at some point in the near future, and now, indeed, that is going to be the case. But I would like to see, and look, this isn't going to be something that's figured out in this collective bargaining agreement. Kind of another sidebar on all this is they've got all these big economic issues that they have to work through. There's all types of on-field stuff and other things going on that are important to the game of baseball that are probably just going to be kind of tossed aside during this negotiation because all the focus has to be on the core economic issues. And hopefully at some point in time, they can come back around and get some of this figured out. And if that is taking the rule like they're going to test out in the Atlantic League this year where you lose your DH once the starting pitcher is done, I think that's great. That rule accomplishes two things. There's an incentive to keep a starting pitcher in a game longer because as long as you have that starting pitcher in there, you have another hitter in the lineup 
that that's a good thing for a team. And again, the the strategy that goes along with what do you do when the pitcher spot is coming up uh, late in a game, and who are you going to use, and how do you utilize your bench? All those things, which I think are important to baseball, and if we're going to connect it to the Brewers, which I think Craig Council is as good as any manager in baseball at managing through those type of situations. So I hope that this discussion is not dead, that it's not just DH in the National League, standard rules, and they're not going to change, and that's the way it's going to be moving forward. So a tough week, tough week when it comes to uh, figuring out when baseball is going to be played again. Not a great week when it comes to the receiving of the proposal from the players. Now we just have to see what's going to happen. And there's been such small, if any, there's been such small, if any, movement in all of these trading of proposals. Like at some point, there has to be a breakthrough. At some point, there has to be a breakthrough. I'm just not quite sure when that's going to happen. Uh, Jason Stark, who writes for The Athletic and is one of my favorite baseball writers out there, uh, he mentioned the fact that the proposal included moves on minimum salary, luxury tax, and service time. And although those moves were very small moves, not major moves, that should probably be received as those are the areas where baseball will maybe bend a little bit, where the owners will negotiate and give up more. There's a lot of other things that they did not move on whatsoever. But the fact that they were able to move at least a little bit on those, then if you're the players, you look at that and say, okay, these are the areas that we need to attack to try to get our best possible deal on. And maybe, again, in a negotiation, nobody leaves happy. That's that's not what negotiation is about. Nobody leaves happy. So if you're the players and you can see that and you can see minimum salary and luxury tax and service times, things that are important to players, if you can see that the owners are moving at least a little bit there, then you attack that area in your next proposal. You try to push that as far as you can possibly push it but maybe you leave some of the other stuff alone because if owners did not move at all in some areas, that might be the area that you have to accept that, okay, owners aren't moving on this, so we need to get our best possible deal in other ways. And same thing, same thing on the other side. When when the players present something to the owners and the players move a little bit, the owners need to say, okay, this is the area where we can go try to make our possible deal and maybe we need to give up a little bit in these other areas. I don't know. I'm not a professional negotiator, but I thought it was a really interesting point by uh, by Jason Stark. So yeah, a little bit of a, like I said, it's an express version of the podcast. We'll get back to having a guest next week. Uh, it's Super Bowl Sunday. There's a lot going on. It was a, a down Saturday when it comes to the collective bargaining agreement. So just wanted to talk through a little bit uh, where we're at at this moment. Saturday was a big day. Saturday was a really going into Saturday. I don't know if it was Jeff Passon or Ken Rosenthal. I don't know who it was, but somebody out there, and I think they were right, said that was Saturday was the biggest day of negotiation because that was going to kind of provide the path that we were on on whether or not there was much of a chance for the season to start on time. And barring something borderline miraculous at this point, it just it doesn't seem like they are on that path at this moment. 
Again, thanks for uh, putting up with this podcast this week, a little bit different than normal. We will return to our uh, standard format next week while the guest was everything, but I uh, wanted to talk through where we were at in the CBA uh, for this week. Thanks so much for being tuned in. We'll talk to you again next week for another edition of Brewers Extra News, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.